0: From the Panic Room at the Alamo, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men who won't talk about the time they reenacted the Russian roulette scene from the deer hunter, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. I'm good at reenactments, especially those kind. Corey, that's a a pretty edgy intro. Who sent that one in, uh, if you don't mind telling us? That was brought to you by Stuart Moncure. Stuart Moncure cures all your ills. That's the biggest joke you'll ever hear from me. I had to
1: censor Corey. Corey's a dirty, dirty boy.
0: (laughs) Oh, Mark, it's... um,
1: Did you like my cookies?
0: I liked your cookies. I did. They were were nice. They were very good. They were peanut butter and uh, chocolate. You're developing very fine domestic skills. You make someone a lovely wife. (laughs) Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's funny. I had a conversation today uh, with a friend of mine who's just back from Shanghai. He's an entrepreneur. He's got some kind of plant that manufactures something over there. I don't really know what. And uh, he was just asking me how things have been in the movie business. He's, and, and it was funny because I said to him, I said, you know, 20 years ago, it was all about VHS. And 10 years ago, it was all about DVD. And not too many years ago, it was all about uh, Blu-ray and HD DVD, and today it's, it's, it's about VOD and streaming and uh, Blu-ray and DVD and a million other and, uh, you know, Ultraviolet and uh, digital copy. And it, it's sort of all just going to hell. I don't know if all of this is a good thing. That if people, no one really, everyone wants a movie collection, everyone wants access, but I don't think anybody really knows what is going to be the standard.
1: I don't think people want a movie collection. I think people want access.
0: They do want access, but a lot lot of people want a collection. I want a collection.
1: I think the older you are, the more you want a collection. I I think, you know, right now the only collection that kids have in terms of packaged media is video games. Yeah. Because you really can't download. I mean, you can, but you really can't download a whole lot of, you know, huge PlayStation 3 video games. You know, you're not downloading Mass Effect. Yeah. A A lot of people still buy them. But when it comes to music and when it comes to uh, TV and movies, P- uh, this generation is used to seeing it online and used to getting it for free. They're just used to it.
0: You know, Kaleidoscape, though, uh, got a reprieve on, their, uh, on that court order that was going to shut them down. So that's interesting because Kaleidoscape basically isn't doing anything different uh, or anything differently than from what uh, the studios want to do when they have you go into Target and uh, burn your movie to the cloud. It's, the Kaleidoscape just gives you the cloud to put in your garage. So I don't see what the problem is. But anyway,
1: the, studio, I, the studios what? don't like it. Look, I think when you, when you buy a Blu-ray, yeah. you should be able to do whatever you want with it. Mm-hmm. You, you should be able to burn it, rip it, put it in the cloud, put it in the cumulonimbus. Wedge it, you, wedge it between put it on your, your butt I, cheeks. Put it on your iPad. Wedge put it, on it your between, I, wedge between your butt cheeks. Wedge it between your butt cheeks if that's what you like to do. Mm-hmm. Put it on your iPhone. Sure. Put it on your PlayStation Vita, Whatever. Yeah. You buy it, you can do whatever you want with it that 's what I think and I'm hoping I hope that and, and that's really the only way that 's the only way that blu ray will be saved. True is if you let people buy it and do whatever they want with it got to do it because the thing with the cloud is that you know, the, you know don 't forget the cloud doesn't have all the extras that blu ray has. And, uh, you know, Blu-ray looks great. You know, Mark, we
0: have, we have some, some You're good television. you me. I am ignoring you. We have some good television. We, we have some Vox Box today. We have two Vox Boxes. Two. That, were, two that were sent in. Two good Vox Boxes. Uh, if you want to send us uh, voice uh, emails or voice Vox Box uh, recordings... You can do so at godsatdigigods.com, godsatdigigods.com. Mark, I'm going to blow through some television right now, okay? It's a lot of British television that you don't really care about.
1: Good. I'm going to go on match.com.
0: So you go on match. I thought it was JDate. date What happened to JDate? date I belong to both. Oh, you belong to both. Very good. All right, fine.
1: Um, if you
0: like Waking the Dead, uh, series, the complete season six, normally they call them series in the UK, but this is a complete season six. This is a British series. BBC, uh, you know, really uh, kind of basically British version of Cold Case, but it, um, it's, it, it's really, really intense, way, way better. And uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a pretty, pretty sharp uh, series, really nicely done, um, kind of warming to it. Uh, the song of lunch, also from BBC. This was originally aired on Masterpiece. Wait a minute, is
1: that really what it's called? The song of lunch. Give me that.
0: Why? You you Alan, real, Alan Rickman and uh, no, Emma Thompson, no, no, no. real life uh, companions.
1: No, no, no. You you realize that that's my dream. My dream is to have the a lo- band that replaces the word love, love with lunch with yeah, the word lunch. I, I know. Yeah. It's called Lunch Hour. Yeah. And it would have songs like we'd, we 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 play Can't Buy Me Love. Would be called Can't Me Lunch. Okay. And well, it's it, it's a dream of mine. To have a band that replaces the word love with the word lunch.
0: Well, this is lovely because it all takes place in Soho. It's based actually on a poem, uh, believe it or not. And uh, you know, it's it's a perfect casting. It's about an old you know book editor, and uh, anyway, I mean, they used to be they used to be lovers, and they aren't anymore. And it's perfect because Rickman and Emma Thompson have been together forever. And I, I part of me still wishes that she was with uh, Kenneth Branagh because I really wait like wait them, wait.
1: You mean really? They're an item. They, they
0: they have been for like fifteen years. They have not. Are you kidding me? You didn't know that? I swear
1: to effing God, I had no idea. Really? Alan Rickman, who I always thought was gay, yeah. and Emma Thompson are an item. Okay. Are they married?
0: N- no. D- no. Hang on a you, second.
1: Uh, honestly, this blows my mind. Hang I didn't know that.
0: What, what you, you you work for E? And this like it has escaped you?
1: I I well okay. E doesn't talk about Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson. <laughs> I guess. Okay. Uh, okay. Is 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 Alan Rickman uh, Justin Bieber? Is Emma Thompson Selena <laughs> Gomez? No. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I, I, I thought Alan Rickman was gay. No. Really? Yes. So they're, to, they're like a... That's not true. You it's, made that I'm up. dead serious. I swear to Christ, I'm I know it. that blows my mind. <laughs> okay, Totally, wonderful. totally blows my mind. All right, there it is. I'm going look that up. I don't believe you. I, I think you're wrong.
0: I, look... Also, BBC, Volume 10 of MI5. Uh, I really love this stuff. I I think it's super cool. We don't have a great spy show. We don't have anything resembling a great spy show on television in America. MI5, MI6, both absolutely terrific shows. Uh, So This is Season 10 really good cast who's just great acting and then this is a really cool gem you know this has been released a couple of times before uh, iClaudius I keep waiting for them to do iClaudius in, in Blu-ray uh, not that it's really going to gain a lot from Blu-ray to be honest it, it just wasn't uh, shot well enough in the first place to warrant it but they should do it anyway just for those of us that want it um this is uh, the uh, the complete I Claudius, the complete series once again on five des- five discs in a nice compact set from Acorn. The original one was a real uh, a real shelf buster. It was just thick and huge, and this is literally five di- five discs crammed into what is essentially one keep case. I'm just amazed at how they do this. So uh, this is about as tight as you're going to get this. This is the 35th anniversary edition. I cannot believe it's been 35 years. This is probably the greatest assemblage of legendary British actors you will ever see in a single production. I mean, it really is just dazzling. John Hurt and Derek Jacobi uh, and Brian Blessed, who I just adore, on and on and on and on. Patrick Stewart's in here. It's just it, it's breathtaking. You just can't believe it. So transfer is basically the pretty much the same. Um, just great drama, great acting. Murder Investigation Team Series Two. Uh, this was originally aired on A&E, and this is uh, you know, more great British uh, procedural stuff, uh, which always seems to feel much more real than the, uh, their American counterparts. Uh, also in set two from Acorn is Single-Handed. Um, this is a pretty cool show. This takes place in Ireland, and uh, it's kind of a Dirty Harry-ish type thing. Um, it, it, it's like if Dirty Harry were just one cop and out in the countryside, I guess, and if he were Irish and uh, speaking with a brogue. How are you doing over there, Mark? Are you picking I, anybody
1: up? I, no, I swear, I'm, on the, I'm checking I'm on the net right now to confirm that Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson... Have you confirmed are it? Item. Well, you know what? There's very little about it, considering they're both British, and the British tabloid you'd think is... Yeah. They would, they would put that in the lead every time they do a story together. Now, okay. Huffington Post says, husband and wife actors Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson are to star in a BBC production, but I don't see it anywhere else... Well, there you go. It's not on his wiki page. Let me check her wiki page.
0: See, season. Meanwhile, I'll just keep going here. Season five of uh, Dalziel and Pasco. This is a uh, mystery show. Good pairing. Again, it all it all kind of centers around the actors and uh, really good uh, really good acting in this show. Uh, you know, it's not brilliant or anything. Judge John Deed. Um, it's this is season five, uh, which includes only four episodes because that's how they roll over there in the UK. Uh, judge John Deed is is kind of cool. It's uh, you know it's not really like uh, any of the Judge or uh, uh, Law and Order type shows. It's very heavily courtroom oriented. Here Alan
1: Rickman is not even in her w- wiki page, and because he is not in,
0: they wear powdered wigs in the UK still. Huh? The judges they wear powdered wigs.
1: I just I swear this is just not true. Well, you
0: just keep on digging. Uh, Roy Clark's Last of the Summer Wine, Vintage 1991. We have talked about the million other seasons of this series, this uh, very, very funny sitcom. Uh, previously, and uh, you know, it's it, it, it honestly, this thing just ran forever, and uh, for all I know, it might still be running. Anyway, Roy Clark, real legend in British television, uh, very very funny show from the 1991 season. Steve Coogan live. This is a two disc set uh, the, featuring Coogan, who's very much an acquired taste that I think is quite funny. But uh, this is um, this is him basically doing all of his great live stuff. This is almost like the complete. Live collection, um, and it's it's pretty great. Uh, you'll you know again not for all tastes. He can be a little bit out on the edge, but um, yeah, it's not bad. Uh, not not exactly my favorite comic, but I do enjoy him when he's really really on. Um, Hang on.
1: Uh, what? In a, in an article dated July twenty second two thousand nine, hmm. it says. Uh, it says that Emma Thompson is married to a guy named Greg Wise. Yeah. As my safari just quit.
0: Okay, well, I don't know what that means.
1: It means that she's not married to Alan Rickman. She's married to a guy named Greg Wise. I don't know what that means. Uh, Mark, Matt Lucas. Alan Luca- Rickman's got to be. I'm looking that up too. Alan Rickman, gay. I'm doing mm- it right now.
0: Matt Lucas and David Williams love these guys. You know why? Computer says no. I'm the only gay in the village. Uh, Little Britain just slays me. One of the funniest things I've ever seen, and they got a new show, season one of "Come Fly with Me." And uh, is it as funny as Little Britain? Uh, you know what? Quite nearly. Quite nearly. Uh, this is uh, all airport centered, and uh, so they're not. They're not. It's not as quite as broad. They're not going as many different directions, and uh, it really is quite. Insanely politically incorrect. Uh, very, very funny. Really worth checking out. Uh, that's "Come Fly with Me" season one. If you like Little Britain, you're going to go nuts for this.
1: We got Greg. Greg yes. Wise has been married to Emma Thompson, who played Eleanor in *Sense and Sensibility* since two thousand three. Yes, they have a daughter born in nineteen ninety nine and a Rwandan adopted son. Okay. Well, she's not married to Alan Rickman.
0: Well, but she's
1: married to some guy named Greg Wise.
0: Okay, I don't know. I, then, then I'm then I'm confused. Because no, to... when
1: you said that Alan Rickman was was, not, was, like... was was in a relationship with Emma Thompson, I, I that blew my mind. Yeah. I thought he's gay. I didn't know they 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 had even met. Well, you found something that
0: corroborated that they have been in a relationship. No, I haven't. Didn't you? You just found something that said uh, Alan Rickman. and
1: well, you know what? There was a there was a couple of uh, this is uh, all
0: very confusing. <laughs> Listeners, we are leaning on you, especially those of you in the UK. Yeah, or really, even, even yeah, on the European continent. Exactly. Just just figure this out for us because we're we're all confused now. There this are rock in my world.
1: There are a couple of like wiki pages or uh, ask.coms that say are Alan <sighs> Rickman and Emma Thompson married? Dreadful. But the answer is never yes. It's always no. He's she's. I mean, maybe they dated before two thousand
0: three. Weird. Okay. Uh, We've got a ton of Doctor Who here. Blow through this real quickly. From the Tom Baker years in the 70s and the early 80s is the Robots of Death Special Edition. Uh, You know, cheesy video, bad costumes, but Tom Baker is always uh, thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, Peter Davidson, uh, who uh, really has aged kind of in a in both a noble and scary way uh, this is the caves of Androzani special edition this is uh, from the early 80s right after tom baker uh, took a hike and also very very cheesy costumes but uh, another fine actor who somehow manages to make it all work uh, less uh, no, out of the special edition realm is the uh, another tom baker the face of evil uh, which is just absurdly cheesy. I, this just almost feels like uh, like some kind of a, a bad, uh, like a bad caveman movie, really. Um, from the Patrick Troughton years in the nineteen sixties. I don't even. Have there been any Patrick Trotton Doctor Who releases yet? This is like the first one I think I've seen.
1: Oh my god, Patrick Trotton, He was my favorite yeah. Doctor Who. Uh,
0: this is the uh, the Tomb of the Cybermen special edition, and the Cybermen always cracked me up because they. they it was like the cheesiest robot looking outfit imaginable. Worst costumes ever. Truly the worst costumes ever. Uh, anyway, this is um, pretty primitive. This is really really primitive. I don't. It's for Doctor Who devotees only. Uh, the John Pertwee years, that is the great John Pertwee, father of Sean Pertwee, uh, from 1970 to 1974. The, this is the Three Doctors Special Edition, which is actually quite famous. Um, Trotten is in this, as is Pertwee, as is, uh, who's the third guy? I always forget who the third guy is. Uh, William Hartnell, William Hartnell. Anyway, all three guys who had sort of been the old crusty doctors up to that point. And um, you know what? It's cheesy, but it's, it's for Doctor Who fans, it's legendary. And then uh, the more recent Doctor would be uh, crystallized in this beautiful Blu-ray, The Doctor, The Widow, and The Wardrobe, which is the 2011 Christmas special. And um, you know what? They've really upped the ante on the uh, on the production value now. And Matt Smith now plays the Doctor. And uh, he's okay. I just don't – I wish we had like an older Doctor. Why does the Doctor have to be a young bohunk now? Anyway. Uh, so very very nice Blu-ray there. We've also got The Fades, season one. This was also aired on uh, BBC America, and uh, this is you know the uh, basically a, a horror television series, courtesy of the Brits, which means it's not that horrifying. I, it's a little bit like uh, I don't know, Damnation Alley for television.
1: Ooh, I love Damnation Alley. Yeah, I know you do. Big Scorpions. And then uh,
0: Tram, or Trem, uh, the complete second season from HBO. This is... Uh, this ain't doing so well, I don't think. Is it, Mark?
1: I don't know, but I'll tell you this much. You realize later this month, I'm going to New Orleans for the very Are you first really? time. Are you really? I'm going to Jazz Fest. I'm oh, no kidding. I'm very excited. Well, that's nice. never been to New Orleans. Yeah, that's very nice. All I care about is the food. You
0: know what? That's the food and the music.
1: That's what I... That, you know what? I, I hear the food there is outrageous.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, as, as Mark has implied, this takes place in New Orleans, and uh, this particular season is a, a year after Katrina, and... Um, I, you know, it's 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 fine. I guess it's a really good cast. Melissa Leo's in this. You know, Kim Dickens. It's uh, David Morse. I mean, really, some great actors in this. But I don't kind of see where it's coming from. Uh, Happily Divorced is a, a very peculiar TV Land show. This is season one, starring Fran Drescher and John Michael Higgins, and. Um, it's kind of like he he's now gay and they used to be married and um, it's supposed to be funny. And I think Fran Drescher kind of is
1: – Her, You know what? Her time is over. It's really over. But you know what? That's, that's the whole point of uh, TV land. You know, like that know. network. They're always carting out these old stars from the 80s and giving them shows. Betty White, Valerie Bertinelli.
0: I know. Well, the guys who produced Prison Break can't uh, leave well enough alone, so they had to come up with Breakout Kings, and this is the complete first season of Breakout Kings from 20th Century Fox. Uh, and not so much. Um, it's it, the, the whole I, the whole Prison Break thing has really already been done, and uh, even if you've you're, you're kind of trying to throw a, uh, a a Houdini spin on this a little bit, I don't I don't know. It it still doesn't really quite work as either a prison prison show or a uh, procedural but maybe it'll maybe it'll catch on uh designing women the complete sixth season this is the one that introduced jan hooks and um julia duffy in one very very misbegotten season um I, you know i like designing women i enjoyed it at the time i didn't love it uh jan hooks certainly was really great on uh on saturday night live and julia duffy was lovely on uh on Newhart, but that, this just doesn't really work. It just kind of screws everything up. So, I don't know. A show that was already, you know, uh, so-so, fine, okay. Uh, Great Expectations will always be uh, basically the David Lean film. We're going to talk about David Lean a little bit later in the show. But that didn't stop them from doing a new UK production of uh, Great Expectations that is... Nicely done, but emotionally lacking is probably the best way to say it. This is very, very professional. Uh, uh, Brian Kirk directed it, directs the hell out of it, does a great job. Some great performances. Gillian Anderson in, in, uh, not the person I would ever see cast in the part that she plays here. Uh, Ray Winstone, quite good, but uh, you know what? Um, ultimately, it just doesn't it doesn't feel right. It doesn't have that thing. And then lastly, uh, Torchwood Miracle Day. Uh, this is on Blu-ray. If you like Torchwood, which is of course a Doctor Who spin-off series, you will just go completely nuts for this. Bill Pullman is on this, uh, and it, it you know it's a it's a very very well done show. It still though kind of feels a little bit like a uh, a much a very high tech, highly sophisticated version of The uh, Night Stalker to me, which is the way a lot of those British shows feel. So anyway, there we go. Mark blew through television. Done. You did.
1: Rock and roll.
0: Yeah. How do you like that? Wait, Major. Okay. No more dating.
1: No, I, no more dating. No more dating. No However, more we, online dating. We do have more Mystery Science Theater three thousand. <sighs> I'm choking in it. I'm swimming in these horrible DVDs. Make it stop. And I love this show. Although you know what? One of the fam- one of the most famous ones is um, the Wild World of That Woman, and um, that is so famous and so beloved by MST three kers that it's getting its own single disc. Uh, from Shot Factory So it is a good one The Wild World of, Bat, of Batwoman Is a good one It's a classic one Everyone loves it And it includes One of the most the funniest shorts They did called Cheating um, So I would definitely At least rent this If you're a Mystery science theaterer Definitely uh, go ahead And buy it uh, The Wild World of Batwoman The other one uh, the, the other single discer. Although I have to say I wish they would start Doing these on, on Blu-ray uh, Girl, in, Girl in Gold Boots um, Funny not as funny as uh, Batwoman but still good stuff I would probably pass on Girl in Gold Boots I would definitely go with Batwoman it's one of the funniest ones they ever did awesome that's what I say I,
0: I will not pay attention to them
1: I know you won't we have some
0: uh, compilation sets here and uh, there are a number of these the uh, The two that I found to be probably most worthwhile I have to say is the Renee Zellweger for film collection and the Gwyneth Paltrow for film collection and I'll tell you why um Uh, The the Renee Zellweger collection, these come to us from Lionsgate, who is looking for any way to possibly maximize their libraries. And since they are distributing Miramax films as well, they're kind of taking their library titles and the Miramax library titles and they're mashing it all together and seeing what they can get out of it. Um, uh, Now, you can kind of tell the difference here. Mark, which one of these is the Lionsgate movie and which are the Miramax movies? Bridget Jones Diary, Chicago, Cold Mountain, and New in Town.
1: Oh, that's Miramax. (laughs)
0: this is basically Lionsgate looking at new in town and thinking "Geez, how are we going to squeeze a dime out of this I know Miramax has a bunch of actually good Renee Zellweger movies let's just hope no one notices and uh, try to squeeze a few pennies out of this Um, Bridget Jones Diary is terrific Cold Mountain not so terrific but she's terrific in it Uh, Chicago a film that won Best Picture I can't stand it but that doesn't matter uh, those are all real movies. New in town is just... It's, it's catastrophic. And uh, there you go. That's the one they threw on here. Uh, but you know what? I mean, it's a good collection of movies. If you like Renee Zellweger, uh, it's a good collection. And then uh, Gwyneth Paltrow gets a a much more nuanced uh, assemblage of films here. Shakespeare in Love, Emma, Bounce, and uh, View from the Top. Now, View from the Top is, uh, is a horrible, horrible, stupid movie... Um, about uh, stewardesses that just never, ever should have been made. I don't know why she's in it. Bounce is an interesting film. And uh, Emma is a terrific film, and Shakespeare in Love is a brilliant film. But what's interesting about these collection is that you really the, the, this collection of four films is that you really see, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow at her best and her worst and, and in the deepest, deepest extension of her range. British accent, American accent, all over the place, every period. Um, quite, quite good. So both of these are interesting because both of these actresses are American. Both do great British accents. And uh, if you're a fan of one, you're probably a fan of the other because they are America's sweethearts.
1: You know, that's what they call me, America's sweetheart.
0: I know. I've heard that.
1: Uh, you know, those guys at Flickr Alley, uh, they're no dummies. They saw the Oscar winning success of uh, Martin Scorsese's Hugo, and they decided to release a uh, beautiful steel case edition of A Trip to the Moon. Now, A Trip to the Moon is billed as, on the cover, A Trip to the Moon uh, in its its original 1902 colors. Nice. Now, I know what you're saying. 1902 color? That makes no sense. Hand tinted. However, back in the day, they
0: talk about that in Hugo. Do they? Yeah, there's remember. like a whole hand tinting
1: thing. Yeah, that's right. That's how uh, movies had color back then. Literally, they would have mostly women would sit like in a in a sweat, um, practically a sweatshop environment, and they would hand tint uh, movies. So really, movies were color almost from the beginning. And uh, this is in its original uh, 1902 colors, uh, the uh, Blu-ray. Also includes a great documentary by Serge Bromberg and uh, Eric Lang of Lobster Films called uh, The Extraordinary Voyage. And it it's all about the uh, life of uh, George Melies, the director of the film. And really, Melies is kind of the, as you know from watching Hugo, the first, really the first cinematic fantasist. He was the first cinematic science fiction guy. He did a lot of those sorts of films. Uh, Alley has released some Blu-rays of Melies' work in the past. And uh, it's great stuff. I really liked it a lot. It's a terrific Blu-ray. Um, it's in a very nice uh, metal key steel, steel steel case. case they call yeah. it. Yeah, so it's, it's nice. It's good looking, and you know what? This is exactly what Blu-ray is meant for. It is meant for uh, people who love film, yeah, and they want to collect the the great films of history. This is a very highly recommended. Uh, Steel Steelcase uh, Blu-ray from the good folks at Flickr Alley.
0: Mark, you know what is not going to be uh, beloved among film lovers and cinephiles? Uh,
1: the search for One-Eyed Jimmy. It, how'd you know? Because I can see the back of the My box. My
0: goodness, honestly. I, I love Kino. I love Kino probably more than any company next to Criterion. Kino is terrific, but I don't know what happened here. Um, really, I don't. This movie was uh, was made in the uh, 1990s, like early 90s, 92, 93, and it's just, it's thoroughly unfunny and uncharming. I know it's got kind of a cult following, but it, it's sort of like everybody who wasn't working on a, a Sundance film at a given point of time just said, hey, why don't we just get together and just do kind of a really low budget uh, chase movie, kind of like, uh, you know, Mad, 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 Mad World. It, I don't get it. It just isn't funny. Um, anyway, there's a guy in Brooklyn who's disappeared, and every this weird ragtag bunch of people join the uh, the posse to look for him. Uh, just so you know how weird this is, uh, Torturo play John Torturo plays a guy named Disco Bean, but it's it's a full on uh, it's a full on independent thing from that era. This guy Sam Henry Cass, who uh, to my own, I, uh, I don't think he's ever done anything else. Yeah, this has got Jennifer Beale, Steve Buscemi, Samuel L. Jackson, John Turturro, Nick Turturro, Sam Rockwell. It's like a it's like a who's who of independent films at the time. It's friggin' weird. And uh, then we also have a movie here called Angels Crest, which I have gone back and forth on. I got to be honest. Uh, this is a a very very effective Blu-ray from Magnolia. Um, but I, it, it, the movie is almost needlessly bleak. But I try not to be, I try not to be too hard about that because movies are entitled to be bleak, and certainly some of my favorite movies are really, really bleak. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about the Piano, which is a really bleak movie, but it's a wonderful movie. Uh, the idea here is that somewhere in the Rockies, uh, this guy has, oh, how do I put this? Uh, he has. Left his son in uh, well the how
1: bathroom I, in the men's room at the train station. S-
0: kind of. So he, kind he, of. He leaves it. Well, basically, he leaves his kid in the car, and the kid dies. So um, what?
1: You just gave away the beginning.
0: I know. Anyway, uh, but the whole it 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 winds up sort of being more about the effect that this has on the town, and uh, more than anything, that's kind of like getting to the bottom of it and what really happened. But it's – you know what? It's just so depressing and everybody is just so downbeat and downtrodden in it. And even Jeremy Piven doesn't look like he's having any fun. Elizabeth McGovern looks like she's 85 years old and it's really unfortunate. But it's a lovely Blu-ray.
1: Also on Blu-ray is – you know, Wade, there was a time when National Lampoon meant something. It was a brilliant counterculture magazine. They made some great films including uh, Vacation with Chevy Chase. Now National Lampoon sort of drifting. They are drifting as Animal a brand. House. They're drifting as an Animal House. That's right. They are drifting as a brand. They are drifting as a, uh, as a you know as a as a comedy bellwether. Well, now you've got National Lampoon coming out with a movie called The Legend of Awesomest Maximus. The Legend yeah. of Awesomest yeah. Maximus. This is a uh, kind of a Greek 300e Trojan War spoof thing. Uh, it's got a couple laughs, but not really worth it. It uh, has a, a sealess cast that includes Will Sasso, Ian Ziering. Christiana Loken and uh, Rip Torn which is very sad the fact that Rip Torn is in this movie
0: I know it's bad
1: Uh, this is on Blu-ray for some reason and DVD I do not recommend it there's plenty of other great comedies you could be watching in fact to me 300 was funny enough I don't even know why you have to spoof it I agree why do you have to spoof it
0: we saw 300 together on that horrible horrible IMAX screen in Marina del Rey that was a nightmare did we? yeah it was it was like being i-raped. It was awful.
1: I have no memory of seeing that. I I, know. I, I it, it has been expunged from my memory.
0: Meeting Spencer is another one of those movies that just simply should never ever ever have been made. Cuz it and has I, a
1: it has a gerund oh, title. I love a gerund title Wait, What is a gerund title? Anything Tell that, everyone. Anything that
0: ends with an ing. Being meeting. Flynn. Yeah. Being there. That's a good one though. That's a good one. Uh, anyway, no, meeting Spencer is another another bomb this week from Kino. I'm so sorry for them. I don't know what's going on. This, was just a, this is a horrible, 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 boring monstrosity of a film. It's just dreadful. And I love Jeffrey Tambor. I adore Jeffrey Tambor. I think he's just one of the great character actors of all
1: time. Are you ready? Here's some, ready? More. I, here's some more gerund yes. titles. Because no one cares about this movie. I know. So we'll talk about gerund titles. Yeah. Uh, regarding Henry. Mm-hmm. Feeling Minnesota Oh gee Finding Forrester Oh boy Being Human Ugh. Leaving Normal Ugh. Pushing Tin Oh wow Saving Private Ryan Wrestling Ernest Hemingway
0: Gosh there are a lot of dogs in there
1: There really are
0: Oh well, anyway
1: And then recently there was of course Being, uh, being Flynn yeah. Saving Silverman
0: Oh gee Right oh, This is painful Chasing okay. Amy
1: Leaving Las Vegas
0: Here's the bottom line here Driving uh,
1: Miss Daisy uh,
0: That's a good one
1: Finding yeah. Neverland I love Okay being John Malkovich, I also love, but those well, are gerund titles.
0: Jeffrey Tambor is uh, is a Broadway bigwig, and he's uh, he's kind of slimy, and he thinks he's really going to get the next big uh, Broadway hit going. And this whole thing kind of does a my dinner with Andre bit, and takes place entirely in, in Frank in Frankie and jo- in, Sp- <laughs> in Frankie and Johnny's Steakhouse. And uh, it it just it's just tedious and boring and manipulative and it feels like a like a staged play. Like a, it's almost like a one act play that just goes on way too long. It is so, so trying. I just I don't know what the deal is. It's on Blu ray and on uh, DVD. I just see no reason to watch it on either one of these formats. It is a painful, painful film. It's a painful film, Mark.
1: So you're saying it's painful? Yep. You know, we have a Voxbox coming up later. Yes Very we do, in about just that. a
0: few minutes, Vox Box. Box. Um, but first, Mark. I would and By like the way, this week
1: I, I remember the Vox Box uh, theme song, uh, which I, I, I wrote myself. You'd better. Uh, wait, right now on uh, this is one of the Blu-rays of the week. Although there is a bigger Blu-ray. I don't, did, did we get uh, Chinatown? Yes, we did. <gasps> I
0: got. I, I just don't 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 get ahead of me here.
1: Did you get two Chinatowns so I can have one? No. What? You're mean. I'm sorry. Why do you hate me? <laughs> All right, well, Chinatown is the big one. That's uh, That one is an all-time classic. But first, we'll talk about a film that is not an all-time classic, and that is Steven Spielberg's War Horse, which uh, comes out on one of those Blu-rays. It's, it's actually a, this is a four-disc set. I know. There's a Blu-ray.
0: It's just not a very good there's film. There's a DVD. It's not a very good film. There's a digital copy. It's not a very and good there's film. there's a whole
1: bunch of bonus crap.
0: It's not a good film.
1: I do not think this is a good film. I do not like this film, film at all. This is basically, about, this is basically a, a movie about a character... Who you cannot even remotely you know empathize with yes it's a horse I know the whole movie's about a horse
0: which was a which in the Broadway play, the Tony winning amazing play, the horse is a puppet, and people empathize more with the puppet
1: yes, yeah, and I, I think that uh, Spielberg directs this uh, uh, it's shot as if he's trying to make this. Now here's the thing. Yeah. The thing with War Horse. Mm-hmm. It's based on a play, yep. which is kind of based on a children's book. Yep. So I understand if he wants to shoot it and make it look like a fable. Right? It has a certain fableistic yes. quality to mm-hmm. it. I get that. However, ultimately the movie is too it's too violent and too dark to really be a fable. I agree. It, it, to me it's he he it's wants misguided. us to be he wants this to be like a real movie. Yeah. and somehow it's kind of caught in the middle. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And because it's an omnibus film, as the, you know what you know who the horse really is? The horse is Forrest Gump. Kind of. As the horse goes through, he meets the Germans, he meets the Americans, he meets I, the kids, he meets the, Another
0: way that I could put it is, it's it's like, I cared more about the violin and the red violin than I care about the horse and war
1: horse. I understand. See? Uh, anyway, so I did not like this film. I was uh, totally bored by it and I did not, you know, and, and the characters in the film they come and go because the horse meets different people mostly children you know the thing with Spielberg Spielberg has never been afraid of putting children in peril correct when you really think about it he really has not been afraid of that no and in this film each of the vignettes pretty much all of them from what I remember includes some child in peril absolutely but in the end you can't really care because once you care about one kid you're off to the next vignette true and the only thing that takes you through the whole movie is the horse, and I don't care about the horse. I agree. And I don't understand why the horse is actually smart enough to save another horse. I... You know, I, you know that scene where the horse saves another horse or something? I, yeah, I don't yeah. get it. I don't either. I, I, I think this whole thing was just a misfire. It was just a total misfire.
0: It is unfortunate.
1: Uh, it was nominated for a bunch of Oscars for reasons that we don't understand.
0: Saving Private Seabiscuit. The, oh. I, I credit Ray Green with that. That was Ray's joke. <laughs> anyway. However,
1: it's a, here's the thing. Because the movie is very... I don't think the movie... Is, Okay, here's the thing. It is very colorfully shot. I don't like the way it was shot for the style and tone that the movie should have been. But that said, the way it was shot lends itself to beautiful-looking Blu-rays. And this is a very good-looking Blu ray. Yep. I will give it that. Well, two of the
0: actors in War Horse Mark uh, were Peter, or are, Peter Mullen and Eddie Marsan.
1: I love Peter Mullen. He's lo- cool.
0: And I love Eddie Marsan. We yep. love them both. And you know what? As, as, as negligible as they are in that, they are absolutely killer in Tyrannosaur. Love and it. I mean, brilliant. Love it. you got to go check out Tyrannosaur. Tyrannosaur is from Strand Releasing. Uh, it, it is, I wish this was on Blu ray. Dang it. I, I so wanted this on Blu ray. Uh, this is an amazing film. This is one of my favorite films of last year. This is an emotional sledgehammer. This thing will wipe you out. Directed. Peter, by
1: Peter Mullen has such like a primal oh, power. That gosh. guy is so good always. This was written
0: and directed by Patty Considine. Patty Considine, the nice dad from In America, you know. I mean a Another wonderful... great movie. Another great movie. I mean a great actor. This is his writing and directing debut and what a terrific a uh, filmmaker he is and by the way Peter Mullen is a hell of a filmmaker as well Peter Mullen has as a director won the Venice Film Festival with the uh, the Magdalene Sisters that's right so I mean Peter Mullen is a hell of a director and so is Patty Considine, and they're both hell of an actors. I mean you know that whole gr- that like Welsh Yorkshire Irish Scottish strain in, uh, in UK acting is just love it. oh, it's the best anyway there's really no way to explain this movie this is about a guy who is totally unstable a working class guy played by Peter Mullen um, who winds up kind of falling into the life of a woman, played by Olivia Colman, who's a shopkeeper, and who's married to a, a real kind of bipolar psychopath, played by Eddie Marson. And I can't tell you anything else about where this story goes, but it's just unbelievable acting. It is just so pure. This is just pure filmmaking, pure acting, really good stuff and you could never get a film made like this made in the United States and that's what's so tragic it's just a, you get some great actors together and good material and you, you make a movie if you're in the UK or anywhere else in the world I don't know why we can't do that it's so so depressing Mark utterly depressing
1: is that depressing or is girls just want to have fun depressing no that's depressing you know there was a time when Helen Hunt was cute I, it's, it's hard to believe but there was a time when Helen Hunt was cute, and it was around the time of "Girls Just Want to Have Fun." Now, wait, there was a song. It's one of your and favorite songs. What is
0: that songs. song? "Girls Just Want to Have Fun." Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Oh come on! You used to love that song. We all love that song. I guess. Well, it's nineteen. It's like the mid-eighties. Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper, of course. Anyway, "Girls Just Want to Have Fun" is from uh, nineteen eighty-five, and it is with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, Helen Hunt, and, Sh- and Shannon Doherty. Uh, two of those. Two of those names kind of maintain their integrity in terms of their careers. Yes. the other one Shannon Doherty has not you know I, I, Shannon Doherty I'm not sure if this is a national spot or a local spot, but na, Shannon Doherty now does a commercial yes, for some sort of um, like correspondence college or, or internet college or something. Yes, and in, as in the commercial for this internet college, yes, you see her, you know, what should I study? Should I be a doctor? and there's a shot of her like in a doctor's white doctor's coat holding mm-hmm. like a stethoscope you know it just it's like how, how the not so mighty have fallen totally exactly I hear you uh, this is directed by Alan Meter who was uh, never a very good director uh, he did a couple films well, he, uh, although he, he I will give him this he, he did do Back to School which I think is a terrific uh, oh I love Back to School Huh? do you?
0: I love Back to School
1: I think that's a terrific comedy
0: first best thing that Robert Downey Jr. ever did
1: uh, I know. It's hard You know what he, weird? <laughs> he, If you looked at If you whip out Your back to school yeah. uh, DVD And you look at Robert Downey Jr. In that as, film as, as Keith Gordon's Best friend You will You'll be like You've got to be kidding me <laughs> He looks he is unrecognizably Young and goofy And he looks Nothing like he does today I know Anyway the point being Girls just want to have fun Is uh, stupid
0: uh, You know what Mark We are less than Two weeks away From the 100th anniversary Of the sinking of the Titanic Really? Yes, and that's why we have been inundated with Titanicness of late. Uh, there is that horrible 3D re release of uh, Titanic that James Cameron's trying to pocket a few extra bucks off of. And then uh, there is the mini series that is airing on uh, the Titanic from uh, Julian Fellows, Julian Fellows of uh, Gosford Park and uh, Downton Abbey fame who has been dissing James Cameron and uh, doing everything he can to drum up uh, publicity for his miniseries, which is historically much more accurate and not as embarrassing. And uh, this week we have a Criterion Blu-ray release of A Night to Remember, which is the original Titanic movie. By the way, the, the actual movie, Titanic, the old movie, Titanic, that predates the Cameron film, has been delayed. So I don't know why, but they're going to miss the whole celebration. Uh, But A Night to Remember is an awesome film. This was one of the original uh, Criterion releases. It is number seven in the Criterion catalog, and they have finally put it out on Blu-ray, and man, is it spectacular. Uh, Historically, not as accurate as you might want, but you know what? It really is, uh, in terms of capturing sort of the essence of what happened, I think this is a great film. Um, Just really, really good, especially for its day, 1958, which was uh, the same year as Gigi. And uh, what a wonderful, wonderful British film. A lot of good stuff on here. Audio commentary with Don Lynch and Ken Marshall, who wrote a book called Titanic and Illustrated History a making of documentary which is absolutely awesome Uh, I'm amazed that they've got a great documentary on a film that's this old frankly uh, that they have that much archival material Um, interviews and even a a Swedish television documentary featuring interviews with Titanic survivors and then uh, a BBC documentary called The Iceberg that Sank the Titanic so this is just a great great set and then also from Criterion we have what ties for my pick of the week this week Um, these last two Mark calm down calm down Chinatown loon. Uh, This is a boxed set called David Lean Directs Noel Coward. And, uh, you know, there was supposed to be a boxed set years and years and years and years ago from MGM that contained a whole lot of great David Lean films, Breaking the Sound Barrier, Great Expectations, Oliver Twist, and there was a lot of stuff that is in the Criterion Collection, and that wound up kind of being canned indefinitely, I think, because there were rights issues. This features... Uh, four films four great David Lean films all of them adaptations of Noel Coward uh, material which is what he did initially before he got away from it and then into the Dickens stuff and then after the Dickens stuff there were a few other things and then uh, eventually you know the, the great full color Lawrence of Arabia and Dr. Zhivago and Bridge of the River Quiet and all that fun stuff summertime uh, the movies here are the, mo- the very famous Brief Encounter which is, was for a long time considered the greatest film ever made it's a beautiful film you'll never see a better use of uh, Rachmaninoff music in a movie *Blithe Spirit gorgeous color in Blythe Spirit which is uh, really the only straight up comedy that Lean ever made uh, you know it's about a, Rex Harrison plays a guy who is haunted by his uh, deceased wife as he's trying to make a life with a new wife uh, very, very funny. Rex Harrison just didn't think David Lean had a sense of humor in making that film. Uh, this Happy Breed is probably a more, n- one of the, the, the negligible titles here. Uh, it's a it's a very nice film, but not uh, legendary in any way. And In Which We Serve is actually uh, a pretty, this is, this is long overdue for this kind of a release. In Which We Serve was Lean's first film, technically co-directed with Noel Coward, even though Lean really did the bulk of the directing, and Noel Coward just sort of played the war hero in it, which uh, is essentially uh, playing Lord Mountbatten in uh, a pretty dazzling war recreation. So if you consider that David Lean was the genius behind the technical aspects of the film, you realize this guy was already, he had it going on the second that he set foot in his first film. He was already a legendary editor and knocked it out of the park. Uh, some great stuff on here. Unbelievable extras. Uh, audio commentary on Brief, uh, brief Encounter with Bruce Eater, who does tons of these things for Criterion. Um, there's, uh, there's a great South Bank Show episode on the life and career of uh, Noel Coward. I wish they had the South Bank show that featured david lean and robert bolt which is one of my favorites that is still elusive on any dvd and uh there's a wonderful documentary here from 1971 called david lean a self-portrait which is all about his whole career and it gets into lawrence of arabia and everything else as well it's uh, brian's daughter it's a beautiful beautiful film and uh, some short documentaries on the making of in which we serve in brief encounter as well as an interview with uh, ronald Neim, who was uh, uh, a longtime collaborator of David Lean's in his early years. This is a terrific boxed set. It is, uh, it is a must-have, and uh, if you're a David Lean lunatic like I am, you will just watch this for hours and hours and hours and uh, never get over it. All right, Mark, that brings us to Chinatown. <gasps> you know, Chinatown is a great movie. It's sort of the last of the great detective noirs because it came at a period when we weren't supposed to be making those movies anymore. And uh, Robert Towne authored what is arguably one of the greatest screenplays of all time. And, uh, boy, this movie, I, I wish I could quote from it, but my favorite quote from this gives the whole movie away. Yeah. You know what that quote is?
1: You know what You know what, what, what? people don't remember is that this was supposed to be a trilogy. Yeah. There was Chinatown, and then there was the Two Jakes, which I thought was good. I liked the Two Jakes. It was 1990, directed by Jack Nicholson. And then there was – and because the Two Jakes didn't do well, they never made yeah. the third film, Gitts versus Gitts. Gittis yeah. versus Gittis. Yeah. Uh, they never made that, but I—I I mean, Chinatown obviously is a masterpiece, and I did like the Two Jakes. The thing is that nothing is going to be, even when you consider that, and you get this a lot with sequels to classics, mm-hmm. except for The Godfather. Even when you realize that it will be a disappointment compared to Chinatown, true. I think that when you when you accept that, you realize that the Two Jakes is is not a bad film.
0: True. Absolutely true. Well, this is the era when Robert Evans was was the king. He was uh, he was the king of producers. I mean, this was the, 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 the Paramount years, nineteen seventies. This is right between the two uh, the two Godfather films. If actually, this is seventy uh, four. That would be the year of Godfather two, right? Godfather two. Yeah, same year as Godfather two. So I think it was re- released earlier that year. I'd have to check that. But anyway, uh, you know, good grief, what a year! Godfather two in Chinatown. Could we have a year like that?
1: Yeah, well, this year was um, Transformers 3 and um, John, and something. <laughs> <laughs> and a movie that did stuff. And Cars 2. And Cars 2. Yeah. The first Pixar disappointment.
0: Anyway, I mean, we can't say enough about Chinatown. It's a legendary film. And on Blu-ray, uh, it's great. It's absolutely great. You know, this movie was beautifully, beautifully photographed at the time uh, in very, very grainy, grainy tones by... Um, uh, uh, John Alonzo it was John Alonzo who did it wasn't it
1: yes and by the way John Alonzo
0: did Scarface as well
1: he, he, he also did one of the Star Trek films did he really yeah he did actually you know, let me find which one it was I can't serious? remember I, I swear to god I can't remember which one Wow. hang on John Alonzo
0: Okay. I'm not we'll work on it. All right. Well okay. Anyway, uh moving on. The the here's the thing. The extras here are a little peculiar. The only reason I'm highly, highly recommending this is just because this movie so deserves to be on Blu ray. It's just unbelievable. And it's it cap you know, this is like as pristine as you'll probably ever see it because Star
1: Trek it, Generations. Oh my gosh
0: probably as pristine as you will ever see this movie because it, most of the prints floating around, they're not striking any new prints and the prints are all very heavily faded. So if you want to see Chinatown in those vibrant, you know, just captivating colors that it was meant to be seen, you got to see it on the Blu-ray. Um, the extras are weird. There's a, there's a good commentary here because it features Robert Towne who can really mumble and kind of ramble a little bit, uh, but it's Robert Towne with David Fincher. And... Um, you know that's great. Fincher is a decent talker, and he kind of keeps town on track, I guess. But why is Fincher commentarying on Chinatown?
1: You know why is uh, why did Steven Soderbergh commentary I was, I on uh, Catch Twenty Two?
0: Yeah, it's strange. I I don't know that that's a real selling point. But anyway, it's fine. The rest of it is all uh, featurette material. But boy, that's uh, that's a highly recommended pick of the week. All right, Mark, uh, it is time for uh, our next segment, which is...
1: It's Voxbox.
2: Hello there, waiting Mark. Alexander Burlika here once again, and this is my contribution to The Vox, oh. Vox. Sorry, that was all the music I could afford. All right, so here's my question. What do you guys think about uh, movies which like to use um, artificial languages? I'm talking sci-fi and fantasy stuff like uh, Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, Avatar. John Carter also did this thing recently, and now there are reports that uh, Man of Steel, next year's uh, Superman abortion by Zack Snyder, is also going to have a new invented language for the scenes on Krypton. So, what do you guys think about this? Do you think that such a move ever works in a movie? Do you think that uh, it ever uh, sounds believable and it actually you know, convinces you as a viewer that this is actually a, uh, you know, some alien race which speaks their own language, which has been developed for centuries and centuries, and in your opinion, does it uh, ever really contribute to the story? If so, uh, what would be your examples to prove this point? Because personally, I can barely find any. To me, really, the only case when a made-up alien language really seemed more or less believable was District 9. Other than that, to me, it always sounds like total gibberish, which the movie could have totally done without. I mean, look at the original Superman. All of the scenes on Krypton were spoken in English, and I thought they were perfect. But, alas, modern filmmakers seem to think that they know better. What do you guys think about this whole thing? And also, I have one more question, which is uh, a little more technical, I suppose. has to do with uh, how some people are credited. For instance, I was uh, rewatching Batman Returns uh, the other day and I noticed that in the credit bed on the special ed- edition DVD Christopher Walken's name is put in a rectangular frame separate from uh, all of the others. So could you explain why that happens and what uh, is uh, the reason for this? Much gratitude in advance and as always, keep up the great work, guys. Oh, and P.S. Wade, the director of Letter Never Sent is Mikhail Kalatozov. So actually, you were pretty close.
0: You know, I always love it when we get stuff from Alexander because it it, it makes me feel like our reach is truly global. He's over there in Belarus. Mark, that's on the other side of the globe.
1: No, he's actually in, in, in Belarus, Kansas.
0: Oh, never mind. Um, no, great questions. First off, the, the last, the second question. Uh, every time I see someone's name in a box, I always kind of roll my eyes. That is uh, it, one of those weird contractual things that if you can't pay somebody enough, then you'll throw them a bone and go, well, "What if we just uh, we put your name in a box?" I, there, I, it, it so rarely happens, and it used to happen in the seventies and eighties every once in a while. But that's just there. There are things called and as clauses where you know an actor can uh, demand to have their name appear like and Cloris Leachman, and Jeffrey Tambor. And that's called an. And Al Pacino as Joe.
1: And that's called an and-as clause. Well,
0: there are and clauses and and-as clauses. And and-as is one that you sort of use to put an exclamation point on how cool you are.
1: But you know what? I, I think the and-as clause yeah. is the worst. It is. Because when you say... And Al Pacino is Shecky Brownstein. <laughs> what does that mean? Who cares who Shecky Brownstein is? I, I know. Now, it's... and Al Pacino, that makes it seem as if sure. like you're saving the best for last. Yeah, totally. I hear but that. if it's like, and Al Pacino as some character who, whose name you wouldn't even know if it wasn't for the, uh, that True. title, is lame.
0: Now, on the subject of imaginary languages, uh, yeah, I, I'm not such a big fan. I, I, of course, memorized all the lines in Klingon from Star Trek The Motion Picture. You know, Toast Cha, Cha Ikus, Ris uh, <laughs> Cha, and uh, a little bit of the Vulcan, uh, you know, uh, Sociologica, cholinar. Uh, you know, I, I had it all down. Uh, but I was a nerd. I was a geek. Uh, so it didn't really make any sense. But I will say, uh, Alexander, here's the movie you've got to look into if you've never seen it. 1966, uh, speaking of star trek people william shatner uh in incubus incubus is entirely in a language called esperanto which doesn't exist and you got to see this thing to believe it uh uh, this movie was directed by uh leslie stevens who created the outer limits and it is um conrad hall shot this thing by the way you know that Conrad Hall shot this thing. Awesome. It was it, it, and it, this is just a totally bizarre, cool, off the wall uh horror science fiction thing that is uh it, it's just you can't believe this movie even really exists. You watch it and you just go, "Really? Somebody made that? They got the money to make this?" Um, it has a fascinating history as well because it was um, it was believed lost for a very long time. So anyway, uh go check it out. It is uh, it, it is available on DVD. It has not been put into uh, Blu-ray yet, which is unfortunate, but um you've, you you got to just see it to believe it. Esperanto. It it's an imaginary language and this whole movie is in this imaginary language. You know it's what? Brilliant.
1: I have to say that uh, uh, that I I disagree slightly with Alexander. Uh, In that, I do think that, at least in a science fiction realm, an imaginary language implies otherness and something that is uh, totally foreign to us, totally, let's say, alien to us. And to me, the uh, language in District 9, which was just a bunch of clicks and clacks, you know, that to me wasn't necessarily any more or less believable than Klingon or. Or all that talk at the Star Wars Cantina. I mean, I, I think that's fine. I, I understand where if a language is almost too close to English or too close to whatever your native tongue is, that it sounds a little um, like they didn't try hard enough. Yeah, I hear you. But, you know, a Klingon is like a language. Yeah, like I know, I know. They're, Mark Okrand, whatever his name is. I forgot that guy's name. Mark Okrand or something. He actually created an entire it's, Klingon it's language that disturbing. is a language. It's
0: deeply disturbing.
1: You know? But I, I do find that in, in, in science fiction. Uh, other languages are acceptable because yeah, you're trying to create a feeling of of, of uh, strangeness and otherworldliness. Yeah, that's fine. And I'm it's hard to do that if everybody's speaking English.
0: Incubus, 1966. Although Incubus is cool. William Shatner. And we have one more Voxbox, Mark.
1: Wait, wait, wait. We yes. have one more. We have one more. It's another Voxbox.
0: Gentlemen, this is Tony from Texas. I just have a question for you. I was listening to your most recent podcast. And you had spoken about how badly The Hunger Games is photographed. My question in general is, what do you see as the trend of modern filmmakers and their... I don't know how to describe it any other way. Their, their need to wash all color out of every single movie that they make. Uh, you know, we have these... these uh, televisions that are capable of producing billions of combinations of colors yet every movie comes out is either shot in blue gray or cyan they look awful they're horrible to watch there's no joy in them when you look at movies that were made some even 10 20 years ago they look so much better i just have a question you know what do you guys think about it thanks that's a great question from Tony Washburn, who sounds like he's uh, on a long haul trucker <laughs> thing out there. It sounds like he's, he was leaving that to us while he was somewhere between Tulsa and and uh, Memphis. Memphis, thank you. <laughs> I don't know. The, I don't know the truck routes. It's my my bad. Uh, you know what? I, I agree completely. I think something has happened uh, to devalue cinematography over the last ten years or so. I mean, there's still a lot of gorgeous films. Hugo is certainly a good-looking film. Uh, it won the Oscar, you know, Tree of Life, The Artist. I mean, there's no shortage of great cinematography, but there are a lot of films that just look like crap out there well, it, intentionally, well, and I don't
1: understand it. It's, so, it's almost two different questions. You know, when, when a director and a cinematographer meet to discuss the look of a film, yeah. it's not coincidental. No. If you're telling a post-apocalyptic story, maybe you want it desaturated. Well,
0: in, I have it on very good authority, actually. I did have a discussion about this with somebody who knows a little bit more about the situation, who said that it was really, as far as uh, Hunger Games is concerned, it's strictly a matter of money. That The people at, at Lionsgate, they're bankers, they don't really, they, they're bean counters, they're bottom line guys, and they had Gary Ross in a very, very short leash. So he was not able to do what he did with Seabiscuit or what he had done with his previous films, which are all really beautifully photographed films. There simply wasn't the budget to immerse it in, in cinematography, and he had to you know, stick to a very, very strict uh, schedule and uh, and you know limitations of resources, but uh, but I, I I just want to but I do think you're you're right. Yeah, I, I just
1: want to put out there that um, good cinematography doesn't automatically equal beautiful colors. No, the cinematography should the picture should look the way that it, it should be. It should be appropriate for the story you're well, trying to tell.
0: Children of Men is not a beautifully colorful movie. It is not beautifully composed, but it's great cinematography because of the camera work, because it actually captures in a very, very vital way that kind of dystopian scenario. You don't want that to be that pretty, but it's still a great job of cinematography. You know, So, I mean, yeah, there are a lot of... But I just find that people don't care so much anymore, because perhaps because the audiences are perceived to not care. Perhaps it's
1: so easy now... They just throw something out there well also don't forget too is that a lot of young audiences they are so their their attention is not really on the art of the movie no they're watching the film they're checking their Facebook they're watching the uh, iPad they're yes. calling they're, like they're, they're not really looking at it they you know what it is they they're watching films just as a disposable piece of entertainment foisted upon them by the marketing but Department I'm going to make a prediction. Studios.
0: I'm going to make a prediction. My prediction is that great cinematography makes a comeback, in large part because now everyone can afford these cameras. You know, like the Canon uh, 5D Mark III just came out. You know, you, you, people are now able to buy cameras. Pretty soon they're going to be able to buy 4K cameras, cameras that shoot 4K resolution. For like five dollars or $6,000, you're going to be able to really do the kinds of, you know, do Roger Deakins-level work just with a $5,000 camera yeah, and about but, $800 worth of, uh, of uh, color correction software. So we're going to suddenly see, I think, a resurrection of great cinematography that really matters, just to set it apart. I think that day is coming, and it's coming soon. Well, and, the, and the digital revolution is going to push it there.
1: But he, And here's the thing, and then we'll we'll move on. You can, you know, cinematography, just to finish the question, cinematography is not just about pretty pictures. It's right. about... Lighting and shot composition and angles and everything that, that betrays character and yep. story is all done through the cinematography. So it's not just... And, you know, I've, I've, I've said this to friends who have shot something on a red. They're yeah. so excited that they shot something on a red. And I said, you know what? A red camera is great, but it's not going to make your piece of crap script any better. Yeah. So don't worry about the red. Don't worry about beautiful pictures. Yes, beautiful pictures are nice to look at, but if the shot composition isn't there and the lighting isn't good and your script sucks, it's just not going to matter. Totally. All right, you can
0: send us Vox boxes at uh, gods at digigods.com. Go ahead and send them to gods at digigods.com. Also, send us emails, questions, complaints corrections cures uh, cures uh, which mark will need after all that time he's been spending on online dating so uh we are uh, we are open to anything you want to send us that's it this is wade along with mark and we will see you next week Mark, uh, for people who who are out there using Match.com, using J Date, who are <laughs> I feel your,
1: sad for you. Of, <laughs> I'm your competition.
0: Part of your community. What what's going on out there this week? What should they look for? Are they are here, they
1: here, actually you know what? Here's a piece of advice. Yes. When you're when you're looking for women online. Yes. And you know, women they, they have all sorts of photographs. Sure. You Know they have two, three, four, five yeah. photographs. The worst photograph is what they really look like.